Last week, um, I had started counting how many families were gone. And uh, I quit at 20. And I'm going, yeah. <laughs> As a pastor, uh, I don't enjoy that. I prefer a full building, even in COVID. Um, but that said, I was talking with Rob Lundquist on later in the week, and he's going, well, what does that say? I mean, he, he says, you, you know, you, you're using this as evaluation, but what does that say? I'm going, you're right. You know, quite honestly, I rarely ever count how many are here. Uh, I, maybe that's laziness, I'm not sure. But there are, there are other priorities. Uh, every time we gather together, my hope is that there would be encounters with the Lord through worship, through the message, and through prayer. Pretty simple formula. Um, and quite honestly, different individuals tend to respond more to the different portions of this. Some were going, wasn't that awesome worship? And you're going, yeah, I'm not really a singing guy, you know, or, or I'm not, you know, some, sometimes, you know, I, I, it's wonderful, but I'm just kind of going, eh, it's not as, not as important to me. Others will say, oh, the scripture came alive this morning. And somebody else is going, oh, yeah, that's great. Or some, were, some will say, you know, when we had that prayer time, Man, it's just like God was speaking to me through this person. And, and so, you know, I, I don't care how it happens. I just want it to happen. It, it, it really doesn't truly matter to me. Now, I would like for you all to respond to the message. <laughs> the fact that you stay awake helps me. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's reality, right? And so, as I was looking at that, one of the things that we were talking, Rob, back to Rob we're talking about is, I told him, I said, I, I hope this fall that we can take our prayer back up a notch. You know, over the years, we've had times where not just in this service per se, but there was an intentionality about what we were doing. And quite honestly, a number of the folks that have been very consistent in prayer through the years aren't able to come right now. And I, I feel that and sense it, but I also want to say, how do we get this into the next generation, that priority? And so, you know, we were talking a little bit, and one of the things that has come out of COVID is that, like whether men's Bible study, which is not meeting tonight, <laughs> but what has happened is that guys are free to participate on Zoom at 8.30 at night, which is completely different from what we've been doing for a long time. And with that, I was thinking, well, what if we could integrate Zoom and worship and prayer, kind of like what we do now, where people who can't come can participate that way, those who want to can gather here. And so I'm just, you know, we're trying to sort that out. How do we get that done in this context for our group? And uh, so that said... Uh, I want to share some thoughts in connection with prayer, but also tying it to the Old Testament practice of burning incense. Um, 
Now, in our group, we haven't used incense. Some of our brothers and sisters in the Lord do. Um, but that hasn't carried over into our practices. Uh, although we're very conscious, I'm very conscious of smell. I want that coffee pot running. And I, I, I really do want that lovely smell when people come in here. And I've had students tell me that, like when we were doing Saturday nights, said, I'll never forget walking into the building and smelling that soup that was on on Saturday nights. And for them, that was a huge thing to their life because they weren't getting many other meals. That, and, and just to have that sense of, of smell attached to a place was very precious to them. So that said, I want to start with Psalm 141, just the first two verses. I pray to you, O Lord, listen when I pray, hurry to help me. Think of my prayer as sweet-smelling incense. Think of my lifted hands as an evening sacrifice. They used to lift up and wave to the Lord the thing that they were offering. And they would be burning incense and... Um, well, let's, let's back up for just a second. Incense um, burning in some ways in a culture, I think, goes through cycles. Uh, I have a distinct memory of waking up one morning as a little kid, going downstairs, and my folks had burned incense. Now, neither one of them smoked. We, we really didn't have candles in the house except for birthdays. And yet, I'm going, what was going on? They had some people over the... the the night before, and sent me to bed. <laughs> Imagine that. And, and I'm going down. What's that smell? What's going on? And, oh, we burned some incense. Well, what's that about? And just never mind. And I, I always, you know, later on, I went back to try to chase that a little, and they just weren't talking. So I never did get the full story. But then going into college suddenly incense was a big deal again. Now, quite honestly, in the 70s, that was deeply associated with smoking pot, although some of us who weren't smoking pot were still burning incense. One of the things that you remember is that uh, the next morning, it had a distinct after smell that wasn't pleasant. So as wonderful as the initial smell was and as how it bombed your, your senses, the next morning was just as ugly, but it was very stale. And I, I remember going, this isn't worth it. And after a while, you just kind of toss that. Well, it's kind of going through again, right? It, it's fairly common, um, the whole smell thing. Israel, when they were in the wilderness, were told by the Lord, I want you to, to have this place of where you burn incense unto me. And it was a holy place. Um, that slide regarded, this is a kind of a picture of the tabernacle that um, as, as people nowadays think it was probably set up. But I, I want to, to put this out to you. As people entered, there was an altar where they would make sacrifice. And this was like for this for their sin. And it was like a first step in. 
It's like our salvation in some ways, that I've been sinful, please forgive me. And the second thing in was this wash basin where the priests would wash their hands and such. But it's, it was almost similar to baptism as a part of that entry as they got ready to step into the presence of the Lord. And then there was a partitioned area off that only the priests went into. And in it was a table with what was called showbread. And they would have 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes. And that would be put in there for a week, and then they would replace it with new. And in that room also, then there was a candelabra that had flames burning, and it was taken care of night and day. And then there was this altar of incense. Now, I want to suggest to you that some of the imagery and symbolism is like connected with reality, but also does picture of something that even is eternal. So when the priest goes into this inner area, the senses are being affected, right? He's, he, he recognizes that with the bread, there's taste. And in that, um, there's also a recognition for us that Jesus is the bread of life, that life was sustained through bread. And, and so... They're acknowledging that God is the sustainer of life, but also this is like a, a present to him, so it's going both ways. In the same way with this candelabra that's being a flame going all the time, there's light in a sense. It's affecting sight. And there's this awareness that God is our light, Jesus is the light of the world. In other words, there's, there's the understanding that light allows you to find direction and see things as they are. And so there's a, a, a preciousness in that for us, but also in a sense that this is an offering again unto the Lord. And then the incense itself. So it's chunas. Well, it affects the sense of smell. But it's one of those things that's unseen, and yet you know it's there. And it's like spirit. It's like an encounter with God where you say, he's unseen, but I know somehow that it's getting inside of me. It's affecting me. So these, these, these symbolisms and these things linked to their worship are helping them identify their relationship with the Lord. And it's, you know, there's a one more chamber that only once a year the priest would walk into, and everything shut down. There was like silence in the camp. And the priest would walk in, and he would make this offering unto the Lord, and, and it was the altar, and it was, it, uh, it was called the mercy seat, and there were two cherubim uh, made out of gold that would be like angels with wings, Right? And they would be covering this thing, and it was like to be a, a seat for the presence of God. And so that was a part of that Old Testament worship, and that's what they were tied to. But it, all of this symbolism was imagery of the relationship that was being made available. 
So in Exodus, when, when uh, uh, Moses is giving out the law, he says Aaron is to uh, tend the lamp each morning and evening, you know, keep this flame going. He must burn sweet-smelling incense to me on the altar. So that's part of the law that was laid down. A little later in that same chapter, he says, you're to treat this incense as something very holy dedicated to me. Now, if, if the psalmist is linking, let my prayer to you be as incense, then there's also taking the awareness of what incense is and saying, our prayer is not just this, it's not simply ordinary conversation, but there's a holy dynamic because it's involved with God. There's a sacredness to what we're participating in if we're going to acknowledge this as relationship with God. So there is a preciousness that's attached to it because of the interaction with God. So you're to treat the instance as something very holy dedicated to me. Now, the psalmist says, oh, let my prayer to you be as incense. It's intriguing to me that the book of Revelations, which describes the end of time picture and heavenly scenes, also has this practice of burning incense unto God. And so it was something that was, you know, if you have it in the past, the psalmist is saying that in some ways our prayer has it in the presence, but there's also a future picture included with it. There's something in you that says, maybe I ought to try to figure out what this is about. And, and so in the book of Revelation, there's a scene painted where it says, um, God has some scrolls, and on the, the scrolls are written things, and later on we find out it's connected with the future, but nobody has the right to go take this from his hand and actually reveal what's there. And so there's kind of a sorrow that it's, it, it could be read, but it, there's no one who can do that. And then the this, this scene in that says the lamb comes forward and takes the scroll. In other words, Jesus with his sinless perfection is the only one worthy of having this interaction with the Lord and even revealing what's going to take place. And so it says the lamb takes this scroll and the four living creatures and the 24 elders knelt down before him. Each of them had a harp and a gold bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So here's a tying together of that picture and that symbolism saying that the... So in other words, David was not only seeing something to be like but he was actually saying prayer is something that really is the, a com more complete picture of what incense is about. So I remind you that this smell that fills our nostrils and, and comes into us, there's this recognition that that unseen dynamic is still real. I mean, <laughs> I like the sense of smell usually, right? Since COVID, I've been working at home mostly up in one of the bedrooms. I can tell whenever Char bakes bread. 
And it, it really becomes necessary for me to take a break. <laughs> Catch that coming out of the oven. Cold butter, hot bread, nothing better. Let's go eat. No. <laughs> but that, that picture in heaven is coming and saying, and he's linking the two and saying, this is even the, this is the prayer of the saints in this particular portion. And he's acknowledging that there's a, a wondrous thing taking place because Jesus is about to reveal what's taking place and there's prayers going up and being offered and it's, it's all linked together. Now, I want to suggest to you that even in that scene, that's not the very end of time because the final scenes are of God with his people and there isn't that same symbolism attached in those pictures. But this is what, in a sense, a picture of worship as it takes place in the past with Israel, as it takes place currently with us, and as will be, but the future is a completely open interaction that isn't, doesn't have the symbolism, it's just reality, right? That said, there's uh, another scene in Revelation chapter 8 that's painted, and uh, it, the start of the chapter begins with this scene where it says there's silence in heaven for like a half hour. Remember the Day of Atonement, nobody's talking, doing anything? It's, it's like this indication something important is going to take place. And it's, a, you know, they had that once a year just interaction when the, the priest goes into the Holy of Holies, and it's a very, very solemn moment and sacred to them. So John is looking ahead, and he's seeing this scene where he says there's silence. Something is about to happen. And it says, another angel who had a gold container for incense came and stood at the altar. This one was given a lot of incense to offer with the prayers of God's people on the gold altar in front of the throne. So again, this is attached with the prayers. It's not saying it's the same. Translations vary on this because they wrestle with how, how these things are linked. And so you can, you'll find different renderings of this, but they've wrestled with, okay, how, how is this the same or is it attached? The, the thing to remember is that there's just a linking that you don't separate the two, right? So that goes on. It says, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up to God from the hand of the angel. So back to, you know, the, the psalm, he says, let my prayer to you, you be as incense. And, you know, let my hands lifted be as an offering, you know, before your throne. So that picture in some ways is being lived out in this moment. But look at the next verse, chapter 8, verse 5. After this, the angel filled the incense container with fire from the altar and threw it onto the earth. So the prayers have gone up. And in the same way, it's been linked with that idea of incense, but then there is a sense where the, the response 
or the, the result of that prayer is coming out onto the earth. And it has a powerful thing in this moment is thunder and lightning and flash and the earth shakes. And you're kind of going, you mean to tell me prayer can have that kind of impact? The linking of this together can have that kind of effect on earth? And so you're beginning to look and say, maybe I need to treat this whole thing of prayer as precious. Maybe I need to be aware that this is, this is a very significant activity. Maybe I need to make sure that this is incorporated into my life and lifestyle. You know, that's, that's why you know, I'm looking and going, yeah, it's fine, we pray together, that's something we do. But like, is that the full picture? Well, I certainly hope not. And it's kind of like that idea that, you know, if, if there's enough of us praying, then we come into this group gathering with a certain level of connectedness with the Lord that actually allows us to, to raise that even further when together. But it, you don't necessarily bring the whole thing up in this moment and say, okay, God, you got your 15 minutes, let's get it done. You know, or, you know, I, the, the treating of this as ordinary and even gathering together as ordinary is something that can subtly come on us. But then you're going, yeah, if I treated eating that way, uh, that wouldn't work out very well, right? I'll take a couple weeks off and, you know, then get back at it. Well, most of us could survive that without any trouble, but, you know, you know what I mean. That is not something for a lifetime. Or to just say, yeah, I don't think I'll sleep for a few weeks. Again, that's messed up. You know, and I, I can see a few late nights here and there, but it just is not a part of a lifestyle that works. And it really doesn't help when a person goes to the place of employment and says, yeah, it was such a nice day yesterday. I just, yeah, I couldn't make myself come in. What are we going to do today? <laughs> yeah, you're going to go home. But so we understand that in regular life, but we need to also recognize that within community, there are certain things that we can't afford to diminish either. And we can't afford to just set them aside. Doesn't work. So, um, just a, a few things and then I'm gonna finish up. When, when Jesus was on earth, what he modeled was something that he was in the temple praying even though it, repre it represented what was going to happen through him. And it wasn't being carried out by people of perfection. In fact, they're the ones that are going to put him to death. So even with that imperfect system in place, one that's symbolic of what will be, one that isn't even done, I want you to go around, please. What, what is taking place is that Jesus still considers it important enough to link his life with it. 
And then when he goes to the mountains, you know, regularly, he spends all night in prayer. You know, and there's a certain waiting and a certain, well, you know, if you're, you're even trying to stay awake all night, it's a chore, right? But it, something is more important than your sleep in that moment, and so you're saying, I'm going to do this. And Jesus looks at the sleep and says, yeah, that's temporal. I have something more important to get done here. You can go through Luke. There's six different times when he prays, and, and it, some of the times are like he'll go out and pray, and then he'll announce who his disciples are going to be. He'll, he'll take things on at very particular seasons, but it's always introduced with Jesus went and prayed. When he's in, he's about, well, he's right be, at the beginning of the crisis moment, at the end, when he's going to be arrested, what, what's he do? He's had the evening with the disciples, then he goes to the garden to pray and asks them to wait with him. You know, and, and it's an intense time. So as he's praying and sweat as drops of blood are coming out of him. So he, he acknowledges that in the flesh, prayer is critical to his life. And so, you know, I mean, even, even consider the disciples when, when, when the layman is healed, they're going to the temple. This is the very, run by the very group of people that put Jesus to death, and yet they're still not separating themselves for that. That's astounding to me. There's something tied there, and they know it, and they're not about to abandon it. In the same way, when, when they uh, you know, were waiting for the Holy Spirit, they're praying 10 days. Can't imagine. But they just know something's coming. They don't know what. And then in Acts 2, when they had brought others to the Lord, what what became the components of their worship together. Well, it says, they attended to themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So again, they, they're saying this is the, one of the keys to what we're doing. Okay. I want to just go back to that Psalm 141 and read through that quickly. I pray to you, Lord, listen when I pray for you to help me. Think of my prayer as sweet-smelling incense. Think of my lifted hands as the evening sacrifice. So David had a different religious experience when he went to the corporate meetings. But he's apparently by himself in that moment. He's saying, just please think of this as that. Help me to guard my words whenever I say something. Good prayer. Don't let me want to do evil or waste my time. Wow. Still relate to that. Don't let me even taste the good things that the wicked offer. Let your faithful people correct and punish me. Wow, no wonder there was something special about his life. 
Are you willing to pray that when you look around you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> My prayers condemn the deeds of those who do wrong. Don't let them be friends. Don't let me be friends with any of them. So he's saying, let there be a separation in my life that chooses to pursue the things that are righteous. Everyone will admit I was right when their rulers are thrown down a rocky cliff, their bones lie scattered like broken rocks to the top of a grave. Now, we, we would not write that on Facebook for sure. Or if we did, we'd better turn off the comments. And obviously, we don't necessarily think in those terms, but what he's saying is judgment will come to the wicked. And there will be a point where you say, oh, we were right. And so there's a need to set our course in the path of righteousness. You're my God. Lord, I look to you for safety. Don't let me be harmed. Protect me from the traps the violent people. Make them fall into their own traps while you help me escape. There's a lot of traps in life, right? And he's saying, protect me from such things. So we look at this and we're going, okay, um, yeah, we're not burning incense here, and yeah, there are smells, but God, I see what's, what's transpired, and I want my prayer to be precious. I want to acknowledge that it is a sacred opportunity for me to interact with you. And just like the sense of smell, I can't see what's going on, but I know something's affecting me inside. I can't necessarily understand or, uh, I, how the prayer goes out, how it comes in, I'm not sure. I just know that something's happened. And so, Lord, let, let me be ever aware that even though I don't see prayer, I know it's powerful effect because I'm in relationship with you and I'm touching the holy. Lord, let us treat this as precious. Lord, we confess that at times we have not treated prayer as a treasure, and yet we acknowledge that it is opportunity for us to have relationship and interaction with you. And even now, as we gather together in groups, we pray that there will be a sense of you speaking through each of us and a receiving of what you have to say. Walk with us through that, we pray. We cherish this opportunity in you. Amen. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk in your presence and to appreciate the prayer that gets, allows us to talk with you. I ask, Lord, as each one goes into the community, that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you to stay.